0: This week on Art in the Air features the new curator for the Brower Museum at Valparaiso University, Jonathan Canning. Next, we feature the new Northwest Indiana Symphony Chorus Director, Thomas Nichols. Our spotlight is on Chesterton Art Center's new exhibit coming January 17th called Sense of Place, Works from the Artists in Residence of Indiana Dunes National Park.
1: Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Mary, art on the air today. Stay in the know with Mary and Esther, art on the air our way. Express yourself you art and show the world your heart. Express yourself you art
0: and show the world Welcome, you're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM and WVLP 103.1 FM. Our weekly program covering the arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. I'm Larry Breckner of New Perspectives Photography, right alongside here with Esther Golden of The Nest in Michigan City.
2: Aloha, everyone.
0: We're your hosts for Art on the Air. Art on the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant through South Shore Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Art of the Air is heard Friday at 11 a.m. and Monday at 5 p.m. on WVLP, 103.1 FM, streaming at wvlp.org. And every Sunday at 7 p.m. on Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM, also streaming live at lakeshorepublicradio.org and is available on Lakeshore Public Radio's website as a podcast. Our spotlight interviews are also heard Wednesdays on Lakeshore Public Radio. Information about Art on the Air is available on our website, breck.com slash AOTA. That includes a complete show archive, spotlight interviews, plus our shows are available on multiple podcast platforms, including NPR One. Please like us on Facebook, Art on the Air, WVLP, for more information about upcoming shows and interviews. We'd like to welcome to Art in the Year Spotlight from the Chesterton Art Center, Hannah Hammond-Hagman, who's the Executive Director-President. She's going to be telling us about some new works coming up in January and some exhibitions that are currently running there. Hannah, welcome back to Art in the Year Spotlight.
3: Hi, Larry. Hi, Esther. <laughs> it's beautiful to start this new year with you. Thanks well, for having me.
0: Well, we appreciate you coming on and uh, telling us about the exciting things going on uh, at the art Center.
3: Oh my gosh, there's so much happening in early 2023, we are packed to the gills. Um, Our member exhibit, our annual Chesterton Art Center members exhibit will actually be closing January 12th. So there's still time to come in and see all of that. Amazing work, 77 artists are participating in this beautiful members exhibit. And then we are opening a new exhibit on the 17th of January. Um, It's a new partnership with the Indiana Dunes National Park. So it's gonna be called um, Sense of Place. And it's a survey exhibit of works that were created from artists in residence at the park. Um, they have a, a, an artist in residence program that's been happening, I think since the late 90s. So for about 25 years, um, visiting artists have been invited to spend time at the park and produce works. And then part of that is that they then give a piece that was created to the park. So we've curated this exhibit from that collection. And it's a, it's a wonderful, about 40 pieces will be in. And it will also be an unveiling of the 2021 and the 2022 artists in residence. So there'll be works that were created in the park that haven't been shown publicly before. Um, So it's a great new partnership with the the Indiana Dunes Park. And it's generously funded by friends of the Indiana Dunes as well. So we're really excited
2: to have that. um, So for the reception, Hannah, will some of the artists be there and yes. will some be traveling from other places yes we are anticipating that and the reception
3: is january 21st it's a saturday from 10 to noon and there will of
2: course be the local
3: artists who are um will be invited and attending i noticed uh, and my hoping. good friend
2: larry jensen's name on that yes and so. <laughs> yes and lynn buckmaster
3: is local and she'll be joining us she's actually in the members show as well so we'll get to spend even more time with her um but yeah there's some familiar names you know for those of us that are kind of you know in the region and then some folks from maybe further afield that will be traveling to visit us as well um but yeah it's the first time that we've hosted this um exhibit and it's a great new partnership with the park that we're thrilled to have
0: do you think that's going to be an ongoing exhibit for the art center
3: wouldn't that be wonderful Oh, no, i think so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I think so. I mean, certainly, um, you know, we're thrilled to be unveiling the artists from this year from 2022 and previous too. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be wonderful. And we, you know, we got to choose the work. So it's, like I said, it's a survey. So some of the works go back to the late nineties. So there's some pieces from 98 and 99 all the way up to just, you know, this most recent year. And so there's a lot of mixed media works too. It's not all just painting. Um, so, yeah, there's some acrylics and photographs and encaustics. No, they're really beautiful pieces. So I hope people come out and enjoy that.
0: And the, uh, oh, the reception is yep. on the 21st.
3: It opens the 17th. It'll run through March 1st. So there's time to come see the show. And there is um, a reception on January 21st from 10 to noon that's always open to the public and free to attend.
0: That's great. So what other things do you have uh, on the calendar uh, with yeah, classes right? and everything else?
3: So we always have classes, our beautiful classes, stained glass, ceramics, our after school art program for kids and young artists is continuing. Um, A couple new classes on the horizon are an animation class for kids, Um, an acrylic fundamentals class. Acrylic painting is coming up as well as a new class called drawing to painting. It'll lead artists um, from charcoal sketches into acrylic canvas work. So that's all happening. And class information is always on our website. And of course, scholarships are available for um, any student artist of any age, you know, to take advantage of classes here at the center. We have a family art day coming up on Saturday, February 25th. That's a free open house event um, for kids and their favorite grownups. Um, to pop in and spend time in our galleries and of course this exhibit the sense of place exhibit will be up so we get to talk about some of the works in the galleries and then make some art together in our classrooms and again that's free and open to the public information about that is on our website as well chestertonart.org and then also in the new year look for a really exciting temporary public art project with our teen arts group artists. Tell us about Um, the teen arts
0: group. Just just expand on that, please.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the teen arts group is a free program um, for passionate teen artists. Currently, we serve kids from five regional schools. Um, They meet here at the center, um, and they get involved in workshops with other professional artists and um, exhibitions that are held locally. But in this case, too, there's a really exciting opportunity to build um, a collaborative temporary public art piece here Um, at a park close to downtown Chesterton. So that will be an ongoing project into the spring. Any interested kid is welcome. And again, more information about that is on our website.
2: Do the applications open up
3: for the art festival? Uh, January 1st. Esther, I'm so glad you mentioned it. Yes. So January 1st, um, the applications for the Chesterton Art Fair opened up through Zapplication. So any information for any artist that's interested is on zapplication.org. Or also on our website, chestertonart.org, and you can link to ZAP from there. We're really excited to be bringing in the 64th year of the Chesterton Art Fair. (laughs) And it's hard to think that it's time to start thinking about that. But it is. Warmer days are coming.
0: Well, we have just about a minute left. Also, maybe tell us about some of the outreach programs that the Chesterton Art Center does.
3: Yeah. So we've been um, last year, we launched a new outreach program in partnership with the Doolin Boys and Girls Club to be serving their kids with weekly visual arts instruction in this past school year. We are thrilled that that's been expanded to include um, five elementary school sites that are served by the Doolin YMCA. So um, with school back in session in the new year, you know, those kids will get ready to make some art with us every week.
0: Excellent. Well, you can find out more information, of course, at ChestertonArt.com dot org. And, uh, the ex- exhibition opens January 17th through March 1st receptions on January 21st. And, uh, you can find out more information there. Hannah, thank you so much for coming on art on the air spotlight.
2: Always a pleasure. Thank you both. Thank you.
0: Art on the air spotlight and the full one hour art on the air program on Lakeshore public radio is brought to you by Macaulay real estate in Valparaiso, Olga Patrician, senior broker. And as a reminder, if you'd like to have your event on Art on the Air Spotlight or have a longer feature interview, email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at breck, dot H.com. You're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM, and on WVLP, 103.1 FM.
2: We would like to welcome Jonathan Canning to Art on the Air. Jonathan is the recently appointed director of the Brouwer Museum, a prominent feature of the Valparaiso University in Indiana. He is a veteran arts administrator and has spent over 25 years in the museum field. He has curated more than 20 exhibitions and has contributed to exhibitions at the Art Institute of Chicago and the Cleveland Museum of Art. Jonathan's scope of experience extends beyond medieval and Renaissance periods to encompass contemporary art, Japanese art and American art and architecture. Thank you, Jonathan, for joining Larry and I on Art on the Air. Aloha and welcome.
4: Congratulations. Thank you very much. It's a delight to be here.
0: Well, Jonathan, how we like to start all of our interviews out is kind of finding out more about you and your origin story. And I always like to say how you got from where you were to where you are now. So, tell us about yourself.
4: Well, you may hear an English accent. I grew up mostly in England, uh, in the cathedral city of Canterbury, Mm -hmm. and I went to a traditional English public school, which means very private, uh, in the uh, buildings and in the grounds of Canterbury Cathedral. So, my um my interest in art comes from i think growing up uh in view of the what I think is the most beautiful Gothic cathedral uh and um performing and singing uh in the in the cathedral with its beautiful stained glass and gothic sculptures um and so that was my that's been my first love in studying art was the medieval period. And I went from school at Canterbury to uh, an undergraduate degree at the University of London, the Courtauld Institute, and then uh, masters at uh, University of Delaware and uh, Columbia University, all with a focus in medieval art.
0: Very good. Uh, Do you have any art practice or are you mostly interested in curation? I mean, do you actually have anything that you produce as art?
4: At one point, I did think about being an architect. I did learn how to do architectural drawing uh, and segued into a a little bit of studying historic preservation. Uh, That came back to help in my last position at the Hyde Collection in upstate New York, which is... Uh, a small museum of European and American art, but it includes a historic house, so I was also uh, responsible for clearing the gutters and worrying (laughs) about leaks and uh, crumbling plaster. So I, 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 as an artist, um, I did some drawing and measured an architectural drawing. Yes.
2: So was your family, does your family have an arts background? Did you grow up in a musical household or?
4: I, my father taught, uh, was a history professor for a while. Mm-hmm. So I think the love of history came in there. Um, my mother is musical and, and remains very uh, involved in amateur and, and parish music in Canterbury. Mm-hmm. Um so I think it was just one of those rich um, humanities-based families. And that was certainly the type of education that I got at uh, my uh, public school.
2: And so where was the first place you landed when you came to the U.S.?
4: I mean, what was your first To make my fortune in the arts? Yes. <laughs> uh, yes I, uh, your
2: vast fortune in the arts.
4: I... um. I came over after my undergraduate degree thinking that the American world of the arts would be thrown open and laid at my feet and had a a year um I have I had an aunt outside of Boston who had a small farm and I was on her farm for a year getting one rejection letter after another until uh, the director of the Boston Athenaeum finally called me in to explain the American system and and explain that I would need to go on to graduate school. Um, he he told me something that has has remained with me, and I I think as I've been a museum administrator remains true that his greatest concern was if his professional Uh, service staff left him he didn't he didn't worry if a curator left because he could always find another one but to find um, a really good facilities person who would work carefully around art or a cleaner or somebody who would work at the front desk of a museum and be knowledgeable about art and engaging and warm with the public that was that was a greater concern to him than finding yet another curator to to hire. So um, I think that's true. Uh, And I've always... um, uh, So one of the things I made sure in my career is that I I could be very good at the front desk uh, (laughs) of a museum and that I'm also very handy up a ladder in galleries or on the roof of a historic house. (laughs) <laughs> and then the flip side is
2: that you really appreciate the people that you have in those positions then as well. So that's yes. wonderful.
0: Tell us some of the history of your, And uh, you touched a little bit about the uh, Hyde collection, but uh, you also did some things uh, previous to that in Chicago and thereabouts. So tell us about some of your curating experience before coming to Valparaiso.
4: Yes. Um, so some of your uh, listeners will no know uh, Luma, the Loyola University Museum of Art, and I was there in um, 2006 to 16. Uh, it was a brand new museum uh, opened by the university in the Water Tower area of Chicago with a mission to explore the spiritual in art of all faiths and culture. Uh, and that was a really rich 10 years of work uh, There's also a wonderful collection, the Martin Darcy collection of European art, uh, largely religious art, um, medieval to early 19th century. And I had a great time. I really treasured being its curator. and, And in that position, it was my job to learn about the collection, to interpret it, and also to promote it. Um, so that um, to make sure that that other institutions and scholars knew that that collection existed so that we, we ultimately had loans to the Metropolitan Museum in New York, to the Rijksmuseum Museum in Amsterdam. We worked on projects with the Courtauld Institute in London and the Toronto Art Gallery uh, in Canada. So um you know that was a very rewarding time. Actually, my ten years in Chicago, and I'm pleased to be back here, um, the periphery of Chicago, and and am excited to learn about the the independent history of the arts in Northwest Indiana, um, and not not just as a um, an outlier to Chicago, but as a center um, with traditions of its own and artists to be promoted
2: so when you when you stepped into your first sort of walkabout at the Brower, when you were interviewing um did the permanent collection surprise you or did you know what you would be walking amongst I mean because like personally like when I some of my favorite I love all the exhibition at the Brower but I really really love when they bring out their permanent collection and and show it in a bigger way. And so okay. to be walking amongst like to be right there with like Elaine de Kooning and and Joan Mitchell and I mean it was just like Helen Frankenthaler, all those beautiful Georgia O'Keeffe, you know, I could go on and on with who they have that was surprising to
4: me. And it's it it really is a stunning collection. Yes. So I have over time, learned more and more about American art, um, and certainly when I was in upstate New York, I curated a. Uh, I say the majority of the exhibitions were American artists, and bringing in um, John Sloan, uh, Reginald Marsh. Um, mm. I was up in the area that was central to the Hudson River School. The Hudson, and, so beautiful, and Lake George, and. So I had, in a sense, by osmosis the last seven years, learned about all these artists. And then I was walking through on my interview and I thought, I know who that is. I know who that is. And (laughs) artists um, whom I'd been bringing in as loans to the hide, hanging on the walls of the Brower because that's where they belong um, and they will always be there. So that was very exciting to walk through and, and feel that I, I um, th- these were these were friends, right. um, and that yeah. they would become really deep friends over in future years as I learn more about the artist, the, the particular work, and think about different ways of bringing them out and focusing on them. So I, I'm glad you said that you you like um you you particularly like it when we focus on the permanent collection because i think we're going to be doing that for a a number of years um relying very heavily on what's in storage um because they do need to breathe and they
2: do need to be seen they really do it's an amazing collection and so what is what is so do you have a plan of acquisition yourself i mean is that built into um, the scope of of your
4: job it will be so i i've been here four months and um it's it's unfortunate that the the effect of the pandemic on the institution in having it closed for so long is that a lot of institutional memory has been lost or at least it's out there hopefully in the community, but I, I don't have it. I don't have immediate access to it. There's always history that's not written down. Um, and so I need to to spend, it's gonna be a while to, to, to learn those stories. Um, that's why part of the reason that I'd like to focus the next couple of years on just working with the permanent collection. Um, also, there was a project that came to fruition, it, it, I think it was a three year project by my predecessors. It came to fruition after the museum had closed for the pandemic in 2020. And so it's, it's yet to be launched. It's something that I'm focusing on for next year. And that was the publication of a wonderful volume. I think 121 of the top pieces in the collection Wow, um, and I have marked up my copy uh, <laughs>
0: uh
4: and it's just beautifully illustrated uh and um, there are several hundred copies of this in the basement here at the Brower. and this needs to get out oh, most people definitely, need, people need to know what is here in the collection, so this is this is something we're going to do. Um, starting next early next year is to launch this book.
2: Really, don't think that people know the breadth of this collection. I mean, it's so extensive.
0: For our, our radio listeners, what you were showing us was the actual book <laughs> called "American Art" and uh, for Valparaiso University. So it's a Brower Museum of Art. So it's an actual published book you you have marked up. So just so because we see we see the visual you're showing us, but they don't see it. <laughs>
4: um it's a it's a tremendous project and it's just a, a shame that it it, it it was delivered in pallets but the museum had closed the staff uh, greg Hertzley, gloria ruff who worked on it for a number of years supported by um philip brockington and and john ruff and others dick brower um you know that all of this came together but um we've never had the the chance to launch it and celebrate it and i'd like to um i'd I'd like to do that you know properly next year so I'm, I'm, i'm trying to work together together with um some supporters to to envision how that's done
0: you Know for our radio audience that and many of them may know, but they know about Richard Brower. But tell us just briefly the history of him and how the gallery and everything is uh, museum is named for him.
4: So, the museum, um, the, the core gift came to Valparaiso University in, in 1953, uh, and it was the uh, collection of uh self-taught Hudson River School artist uh Junius Sloan, who who came from this area uh the and his son in 1953 gave us his collection plus other works by noteworthy uh 19th century American landscapers including uh uh Frederick uh, Frederick Church came into the collection or came to the to the university in 53 And slowly over time a collection, a larger collection was built up around it, largely through the hard work of Richard Brower, who was head of the art department here at Falco and uh, director of the museum. And he he lobbied and worked tirelessly so that by 1995 a purpose-built set of galleries, the Brower Museum, Was was built as part of the Valpo's um, uh, Cultural Arts Center. um, And so we've had a a top-notch professional museum and gallery setting for the collection uh, since 95. But that does mean that uh, next year is the 60th anniversary of the formal gift uh, by Percy Slane of his father's collection. Uh, and i'd like to i'd like to also mark that occasion um with some programming and uh and, and perhaps bring out more of the Sloan collection um, at the moment i'm really the one who's enjoying it most uh i've i've hung um some sloan small Sloan oils uh, around my desk here of <laughs> scenes from from lake george because lake george was just 10 miles away from me in in glens falls new york uh and so i have a wonderful lake george uh painting over my desk (laughs) that's great but i should share that more
0: yeah you have the great great gallery there um are you are you going to i know the brower has engaged uh bringing in local artists in and around the permanent collection are you going to also have opportunities for local artists to uh To do some exhibiting, I mean, you have a fairly decent sized space there. So, I mean, you might be able to do a mix of the permanent collection and then some local artists.
4: Right. I hope so. And so I I have been uh, getting out and meeting, uh, to begin with, the leaders of um, various arts organizations. Uh, Everyone's been very warm and welcoming. And I hope um, to start meeting the artists of the region soon, too. Yes. Say I'm I'm just one person.
0: <laughs> I know that last I'm, week we had the regional arts council uh, luncheon, and uh, I, I'd actually hope to meet you there because I'm part of the regional arts council, and that would have been a great opportunity to, to do that. But yeah, as you do that, you'll find what a vibrant arts community that we have. So,
4: and I'm looking I'm looking forward to it. Um, you know, last week at lunch, I um, I just couldn't get away. Right not enough not enough student workers during exam week so you know, there I am back to the front desk being the the one warm welcoming person so are you going to um
2: are you going to be teaching any museum classes i know greg had taught a a museum program
4: yes i've heard a lot about the program that my predecessor greg hertzley ran and um, where, I mean, it's a possibility, um, but there's there's a lot for me to, to learn and get used to. Um, so we'll see. You know, not in the next year or so, but perhaps down the road. Yeah. Well,
0: what brought you to Valparaiso? I mean, you touched on a little bit, I mean, being at Chicago for a long time, but, um, you know, it's a lot of times... Uh, from a Chicago view, they kind of look down in Northwest Indiana. Oh, that, that's just like farmland, and don't realize the rich cultural community. But what what attracted you to Valparaiso University in our area?
4: Uh, a collection that was, I thought, um, little known. Uh, I mean, I you know I had worked with the collection at Loyola and and helped to promote that, uh, and so I thought I could I could do similar things here uh it was it's going to be a whole new sort of world so it's going to be really interesting for me to to learn more about american art and to help shape this uh, institution moving forward uh and i really enjoyed my time in the midwest i had lived in uh, ohio uh, in cleveland as well so i've spent a lot of time in in this sort of part of of the country yeah.
2: I, I was excited to read that you are going to be loaning out pieces from the permanent collection to other other places. I think that's very exciting.
4: Yes, we have three paintings that have gone down to Indianapolis for their show that opens in the new year on Frank Dudley. <laughs>
0: Very good. Well, uh, looking down the road, uh, tell us what you have maybe this year. uh, I know you're permanent collection, but like different variations of it or openings. And so tell us kind of like what your calendar is like for 2023.
4: Well, on Martin Luther King Day, we will be opening uh, an exhibition of black artists uh, from our collection and also from the collection of uh, Professor Michael Cittalese from Valpo. Uh, And that show will run through Easter. And then after Easter, we're going to have an exhibition on the theme of time. Uh, I was asked to sort of collaborate with the Institute for Liturgical Studies, and that is the theme of a conference that they are having. So that is coming together uh, slowly. So those are the two exhibitions that will take us into the summer.
0: Very good. And you are closed on uh, during—are you you open during the summer at all, or—
4: we will be open uh, in the summer at the moment we are open uh, Wednesday through Saturday ten to four. Wednesday is a late night during the term time. We're open till eight o'clock uh, in the summer. I think we will keep those we will keep the Wednesday through Saturday but probably limit our hours to ten to four on all four days.
0: Excellent. Um, so tell us a little bit how people can find you online uh, websites. Uh and other contact and your contact information if somebody wants to reach out to you and either as an artist or arts group and maybe even take a tour, a private tour.
4: There is a Brouwer Museum of Art website as part of uh, valpo.edu. We also are on Facebook and on Instagram. And um, my telephone and uh, email address is on the uh, website page.
0: Very good. Well, you know, we really appreciate you coming on Art on the Air and sharing about the reopening in Brower, which we're all in the arts community in Northwest and very, very excited about after its, what, two years uh, hiatus, so to speak. So uh, we appreciate you coming on the show and sharing. That's Jonathan Canning, the new uh, director of the Brower Museum of Art in Valpo University, and uh, bringing his expertise. And thank you for coming on Art on the Air.
2: Welcome and have the best of times, really. <laughs>
4: Thank you so much. And I really look forward to welcoming you and your listeners to the, to the Brower in 2023. This is Whitney Reynolds of The Whitney Reynolds Show, and you're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM and on WVLP 103.1 FM.
2: We would like to welcome Thomas McNichols to Art on the Air. Tom is the new director of the Northwest Indiana Symphony Chorus. He is also currently the director of Choral Activities and Vocal Studies at St. Xavier University in Chicago, as well as an accomplished vocalist himself. Thank you, Tom, for joining Larry and I on Art on the Air. Aloha and welcome. Hi.
5: Thank you so much for having
0: me. How are you today? We're doing great.
2: Beautiful, sunshiny day.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) Well, how we always like to start our interviews where our audience gets to know you. And of course, with you coming on board, Northwest Indiana audiences will want to get to know you as being the new uh, director at the Symphony Chorus. We want to know your origin story. Like I say, how you got from where you were to where you are now. So tell us about yourself.
5: Okay. Well, um, I'll I'll do do my best to make this an abridged version, right? Um, My parents actually met at the university that I teach at now, um, St. Dave University. They were both students. Um, My dad was just general studies, and my mother was a nursing student here at the university. Um, Both are kind of amateur musicians. My mother has a beautiful singing voice, and my dad, when he was in college, was um, gigging at a lot of the local bars, playing guitar and singing along. and. (laughs) Um, so, I grew up in Evergreen Park, which is um, a suburb of Chicago in the south side. Um, beautiful place. Um, the oldest of four siblings. So, I've got the take charge um, teacher attitude uh, instilled birth order. Um, <laughs> And I was involved in music, I think, as early as elementary school. I remember doing, you know, those, those Christmas pageants and things. I joined band in fourth grade, playing the, the flute, of all things. I didn't stick with it, um, but I did play for a little bit. And, um, and then I was kind of out of music until I got back into middle school. And I, I sang in the chorus in middle school, um, had a really great teacher who um, had vocal nodules. So I knew about vocal uh-huh. health issues. It's from a pretty early age. Um, and uh, then I went to Evergreen Park Community High School, um, the community school in my, my um, village. And I started in choir um, freshman year of high school um, and was hooked. From, from day one. I was in the concert choir and the elite magical ensemble um, all four years. I participated in the plays and musicals. At the end of my freshman year, um, I got drafted uh, to be in the, the band. Um, and so uh, I did beginning band for the second half of my freshman year on clarinet this time. And then uh, from then on, um, I was in the band and I, I was one of those uh, lucky kids that um, was so easygoing that they said, "Okay, play this, play this, play this." So, marching band sophomore year, uh, I was in the the auxiliary pit percussion, um, playing mallets and uh, you know cowbell and all the the fun auxiliary percussion instruments, um, and I was learning to read music, you know, um, a- alongside my my instrumental peers um, often singers get a bad um, rep as being uh, unable to read music. And so I was lucky in that I was getting, you know, instrumental stuff and vocal stuff all simultaneously. Um, And my senior year of high school, I'll never forget this. It was like the second week of band camp and one of the trumpeters broke his foot. And so my my band director handed me a trumpet and said, go. (laughs) So I learned (laughs) how to play. I learned how to play the, the trumpet uh, while learning how to march, uh, drill, um, my senior year of high school, um, and had a fantastic time. Um, my senior year in high school, um, my choir went to Italy um, during the spring. We went a concert tour. We were there for Easter, and I got to sing. We did uh, excerpts from Schubert's Mass in G uh, at the Vatican, at St. Peter's.
1: Wow, what an uh, experience. Excellent.
5: It was amazing, um, and you know uh, that you know the the kind of classical music started hooking in. So I went to Saint Xavier, where I teach now, um, for college. I, I auditioned in a lot of places: Milliken, DePaul, you know Roosevelt, and um, could have gone to a lot of other schools. But I remember the one of the things that hooked me about the education I got at Saint Xavier was that it was immediately I was a person. Um, It was not a huge competition um, environment. It was competitive, but um, I was treated like a a person I was invested in from the moment I walked into my audition. And that really kind of changed the way I thought about um, doing music. Um, I wanted to be a music teacher. I got a double degree in music education and vocal performance at St. Xavier was there for five years because I did two degrees and had to student teach. Um, but it was wonderful. I got to do, I got to play in the orchestra occasionally. I sang in the choirs. Um,
2: was there more traveling, more international traveling with that
5: choir? Not, not in the, not an undergrad. Um, my travels came after, um, I did get to go, I did finished at St. Xavier and I, I taught locally. Um, I did some community theater, uh, musical theater. And then I, uh, I taught for about 10 years before I went back to graduate school. Um, I missed performing at a higher level. And so I went back to grad school and then I got to have the opportunity. I went to Weimar, Germany. Lyric Opera Studios, Weimar, and did a production of Die Zauberflöte, got to sing um, in Weimar. We, we traveled a little bit in Germany, and it was amazing, um, meeting people from all over the world um, with similar interests. And uh, so I, I, I did Weimar and then came back and finished my uh, degree at North Park um, in vocal performance. And then I went to Toronto. Um, the following summer to do a production of Don Giovanni, Um, not a full production, but a, uh, with piano. And uh, it was quite an experience. And I've gotten to, you know, I went back to opera, uh, the Toronto Summer Opera Workshop a couple years later and did um, Rusalka. And I got to go to to Italy, Opera Festival di Roma, and do Don Giovanni there um, in um, Orvieto. And just... Mm. uh, Fantastic. So was
2: that all during your graduate that, time?
5: Yes, yeah, during graduate studies and shortly after. And so um, that all wrapped. Um, in 2018, I finished grad school. So that was, you know, um, current, um, just before the pandemic. Um, so I, I did actually write that next summer before the pandemic. I sang with the Grant Park Music Festival oh. uh, in mm-hmm. Chicago and um, worked with Christopher Bell, and it was a, a fantastic experience. Um, some of my peers from uh, North Park are singing in that, that chorus, and some of my faculty friends from when I was a student uh, at St. Xavier are singing there. And so it, it's really great um, to have all of that come together. And then, you know, the pandemic changed a lot of things. I, I went back and I was teaching at St. Xavier, uh, Just after I finished grad school, I took on a full-time position here as uh, a director of choral activities and vocal studies, and it's been quite an experience to be working alongside some of my um, former professors. You know, uh, Patricia. So Lee. sweet. Yeah, yeah. Patricia Lee, who is our uh, director of keyboard studies, is, plays with the Northwest Indiana Symphony um, and accompanies the chorus. So when they were looking for someone um, to come in and take over for Nancy Menk, who had was beloved and had been there for a long time, um, my name got tossed in. And Karen Dickelman, who is the uh, manager for the orchestra, was working at North Park when I was doing my graduate studies. So it was very uh, small world kind of situation.
2: So in that, in that small world, did you run across Kurt at any point?
5: I hadn't. I heard wonderful things about the course, but I had not, it wasn't until after I had, you know, done a few rehearsals that I actually got to meet Kirk in person um so we'd had a few phone calls and in you know email exchanges but um I'd heard fantastic things and um was always kind of on the radar but um I'm more uh Illinois based right. so I, uh, the crossover and not that it's far it's just that everything here was so close and convenient
0: you know I want to dial back just a little bit about theater a little bit um all the way maybe the high school and forward what roles did you perform uh I'm curious
5: oh uh uh, goodness! I my very first role in high school was uh, Tulsa in um, Gypsy. Oh, okay, um, so I, had to, I had to fake my way through a little bit of soft shoe tapping and <laughs> uh, um, singing, but that was a lot of fun. And then we—I was in the barbershop quartet for the Music Man. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Oh, I was Nick Piazza in uh, Fame. Okay, um, the musical and. Um, you know, that was the high school stuff. I did some community theater. There was a, the high school that's actually right next to St. Xavier University is Mother Macaulay
1: mm-hmm. um,
5: High School. And for a long time, Pat Haynes was the um, theater teacher at the school, but also did a lot of community. 99th Street Theater is what was, uh, <laughs>
1: was
5: there. And it was community-based. It was over the summer. And so they would do, you know, two or three productions over the course of the summer. And I was uh, in production I was in the I was a pig in Shrek and <laughs> uh, I was in uh, sideshow and um, the secret garden some really beautiful works and totally different you know lots of different kinds of music and experiences so those were a lot of fun
2: do you have time now with all these with all the teaching and this new position to start are you still interested in singing on that professional level? Do you have, or even just do you, are you in choruses now?
5: Well, the the short answer is um, this season I've been too busy, um, but I have um, done a couple of recitals at the university um, faculty and alumni recitals. So um, production, I, I sang, and this was totally out of voice type, but the uh, Vaughn Williams five mystical songs Um, And then I did a recital that was mostly opera-based with a little bit of musical theater um, in September this year. Um, And that was selections from Faust and La Traviata and uh, L'Elisir d'Amore. So I'm I'm keeping my my singing voice up to snuff. um, And I'm debating about whether or not I should do some auditioning for Grant Park for uh, this coming summer. We'll see because the Northwest Indiana Symphony um, had a very short choral season uh, this time. Typically, uh, the season runs from September to May, and we finished in December uh, because it's it been a kind of a uh, an interesting road due to the the pandemic, and then coming out of that and trying to to navigate the the kind of normal for now that we find ourselves in. Um, so my time has been pretty busy when I bouncing back and forth between the university and the symphony
0: chorus. You're listening to art on the air on Lakeshore public radio, 89.1 FM and on WVLP 103.1 FM. You know, the question I have about teaching, uh, you were obviously starting uh, there at the college during the pandemic. So did you have a lot of remote teaching you could do and how did, how did you handle that?
5: Well, it's one of my least favorite things, right? <laughs> um, Music is uh, a shared experience, and teaching young musicians often involves a lot of kind of, um, you know, in-the-room, personal um, interaction. Uh, it's hard with the delays that we get over the Internet and the depending on the microphones that students are using, what kind of devices they're streaming on, uh, it gets challenging. But I I applaud my my colleagues here at the university. We we kept our ensembles kind of interactive. We did a lot of recording, um, and then we were able to come back under very strict um, you know guidelines. Um, and so yeah, I taught. I remember when the pandemic hit, we were about two weeks out from giving a performance of. Um, Michael John Trotta's uh, Seven Last Words. Um, it was right before right. our concert. And so um, that I guess was kind of lucky because we had to just do recordings. Um, so students could record their parts and then we, we kind of mashed things together and put out a few clips um, rather than doing a full performance. Um, lessons with students, applied voice, that was challenging. Uh, Because, you know, in the studio we have, I'm working, I'm doing work with a student and then the accompanist comes in and we we kind of do this collaborative thing and you can't have three different Zoom settings happening simultaneously. And it's really
2: hard because so much of it is posture, too, because not only are you listening to their voice, but you're looking at how they're standing and how they're projecting. And so
5: absolutely, absolutely. And responding in real time to the physical changes in their body and how the resonance is being affected and And then when we came back, of course, we're masked. So trying (laughs) to to guide singers on diction and things they're doing, it it really relied on intuition, you know, and past experience. Um, So that was, it was really a a challenge, but it it did teach me that I could rely on my instincts more than I think I had trusted myself to do before that. So um, it, you know, there's a lot less in these days there's a lot less hands-on you know i'm not adjusting someone's head position or moving their their um, posture around i'm just kind of coaching them to do it themselves um which i think is uh a good um singing in front of anybody can be a very vulnerable experience and um with the power dynamics in play and you know the kind of um the world we live in—it's um, nice to be able to communicate effectively without having to get into someone's personal space.
2: Are you on any recordings? Do you have you recorded?
5: I have not. Um, nothing, nothing solo. Um, nothing professional in that regard. Uh, just things that you know we post on our, our YouTube channel for the university, um, and I've, I've shared some of videos to my own personal Instagram or Facebook, but nothing, nothing pers- nothing professional.
0: Is that something in your future, you think, maybe, is uh, doing that? Because the ease of recording nowadays and and actually, quote, publishing is so much easier, you know, for like indie artists and things like that.
5: Right. Um, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Um, I need to get myself back into coachings, uh, my <laughs> own personal kind of um betterment uh and development as a singer it's been a while since i've had a voice lesson or a voice coaching it's all kind of at this point self-directed and so um you know i I rely on the the collaborative artists i work with uh here to kind of um remind me and i record obviously my own um rehearsal settings so that i can go back and and uh, do those things but yeah i think you know I, i would love to do stuff like that and i think that um like you're saying, it's much easier. The, the equipment and the technology is so much more accessible. Uh, one of the things we're excited about at the university is that we're, music production courses are starting to um, be part of our curriculum. And so we've invested in some of that equipment. And so I think we will, um, you know, be taking advantage of the fact that it's here.
0: Having a recording studio on site is a definite improvement. Well, Excellent. I wanted to ask you about the approaching the symphony. You know, Nancy Mink has been there forever, and uh, I know my wife sang in the symphony chorus years ago. But uh, you know, it has established quite a legacy. So, you know, what kind of challenges you had? You, you just completed your uh, first uh, outing with uh, the, the symphony. Uh, that may have seemed a little bit daunting coming in at first
1: it
5: absolutely did. i I was really excited about the challenge, and, like you said, it was kind of daunting. Um, the uh, the timeline was very quick. Um, we went in and I, I, you know, these were all phone conversations. Nobody was really in the office, um, over the summer. And so it all kind of came together very quickly. Um, and, you know, putting together our standalone concert in November, um, you know, I, I put together some lists of music and relied on, um, Kirk's kind of, um, history, uh, with the chorus and, uh leaned on him. He picked a lot of the repertoire that we we sang. I brought a few new things and different arrangements of things. Um, But it was daunting. Um, I was uh, looking forward to meeting a whole bunch of new singers. And I knew that um, Pat, who was uh, playing for the, the ensemble um, we saw we see each other multiple times a week. Uh, our offices are right next door to each other uh, at the university. So I, I could trust that she would uh, be a, a support and a resource for me. Uh, I had no idea kind of what to expect in terms of who was going to show up. And <clears throat> so it was really kind of. Um, stressful getting them everything organized but when I got in and met the singers um, they're a really fantastic group of devoted um, amateurs and um, you know people who had had some music background but aren't um, you know aren't singing with the the symphony downtown um, in Chicago so um, coming in it was uh, quite an experience and I my style is from what I've what I've heard very very different from Nancy's. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, and
5: that, that's to be expected. So I, I approach things um, with a lot of detail work ahead of time that I'm prepared to, to dive in right away. And uh, I really like to use humor and lightheartedness to keep things um, fun and interesting. So uh, the styles are very different. Um, my background, as I mentioned, was mostly in performance um and you know i don't have the uh doctoral degree in conducting and so i've had i've had some conducting um instruction and i've worked with some fantastic conductors naïla Basny and uh olaf storbeck um tom zell um from north park and so um it was a, a, a change for them as well as for me and i think um there was a getting to know you period which was uh fun Um, But I keep hearing from members of the chorus and from members of the symphony that I I, I get a lot of um, positive feedback um, from our interactions. So it's exciting to me to be working with people who are just outstanding people um, and be making music together. So a lot of fun.
0: What are your future plans for the chorus? I know that's kind of linked to what Kurt decides also. uh, But, uh, you know, tell us uh, some of the vision you have maybe down the road here.
5: So the next season will start again in September and will be a full season, hopefully knock on wood, right? We're all um, still waiting for all of this COVID stuff to be in the rear view. Window. Um, but, you know, there's been discussions about Carmina Burana. Um, the chorus will probably do uh, at one or two standalone concerts in the season. And then we will collaborate with the orchestra and, um, for the holiday pops of course in December which is an annual tradition um, but I'm but I'm sure the carmina Varana, um, I don't know when that will fall but that will be in the, the near future um, and so we'll have discussions in the new year about where where we're going to go in terms of repertoire and, and vision. and I know they're planning for the next three years so great things ahead
0: have fun. That sounds yeah. great. Uh, any plans at the university for changes now that you're getting back to more of a normal schedule or maybe expansion of or groups you're going to do?
5: Well, we're all rebuilding. Um, our high school feeders are all in rebuilds from the pandemic and our, our numbers have gone down. So we're, we're really actively trying to expand um, into we're adding some contemporary commercial um, emphases, and uh, we will be, uh, the chorus will be um, collaborating with the Southwest Symphony in um, Palis, um which is very close by here. So we'll be doing some opera choruses uh, in, in April and um, we'll do, we're bringing back our opera workshop this semester uh, of meeting with the, the adjunct professor who's teaching that course to kind of select some repertoire and get things for the students who have enrolled. So
0: busy it's a busy yeah. time well we're just about a minute left but one of the things I want to make sure is how could people can people still audition for the symphony course and then also tell us about how people can find out more about you Tom
5: sure so um, at our at the Symphony website, nisorchestra.org. There's a list of upcoming concert dates with the the symphony, and we will hold auditions probably at the end of the summer for uh, the upcoming season uh, that starts in September. People can reach me at thomas at nisorchestra.org. That's my email for the the symphony, Uh, people that are interested in auditioning, um, and we're trying to drag people in um, I can be reached at um, music at sxu.edu or tmcnichols at sxu.edu for the, or- the um, university as well.
0: Excellent. Well, we appreciate you coming on and look forward to your work with the uh, symphony. And of course, your career sounds uh, wonderful. We appreciate you coming on Art in the Air. That's Thomas McNichols, the new uh, course director for the Northwest Indiana Symphony. Thank you so much for coming on Art on the Air. Thank,
2: Thank you. Th- it's been so delightful. Thank you.
0: We'd like to thank our guests this week on Art on the Air, our weekly program covering the arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. Art on the Air is heard Friday at 11 a.m. and Monday at 5 p.m. on WVLP 103.1 FM, streaming live at wvlp.org, and every Sunday at 7 p.m. on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM, also streaming live at lakeshorepublicradio.org, and is available on Lakeshore Public Radio's website as a podcast. Our spotlight interviews are also heard every Wednesday on Lakeshore Public Radio. Thanks to Tom Maloney, Vice President of Radio Operations for Lakeshore Public Radio, and Greg Kovach, WVLP's Station Manager. Our theme music is by Billy Foster with a vocal by Renee Foster. Art in the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant through South Shore Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. We'd like to thank our current underwriters for Art in the Air on Lakeshore Public Radio, Macaulay Real Estate in Valparaiso, Olga Patrician, Senior Broker, and for WVLP, Walt Breidinger of Paragon Investments. So we may continue to bring you Art on the Air. We rely on you, our listeners and underwriters, for ongoing financial support. If you're looking to support Art on the Air, we have information on our website at breck.com AOTA, where you can find out how to become a supporter or underwriter of our program in whatever amount you are able. And like I say every week, don't give till it hurts. Give till it feels good. And you'll feel so good about supporting Art on the Air. If you're interested in being a guest or sending us information about your arts, arts-related event or exhibit, please email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at Brech, B-R-E-C-H dot com, Or contact us through our Facebook page. Your hosts were Larry Breckner and Esther Golden. and We invite you back next week for another episode of Art on the Air.
2: Aloha, everyone. Have a splendid week.
0: express yourself through
1: art and show the world your heart express yourself through art and show the world your heart you're in the know with esther Unland. And show the world your heart. Express yourself, you heart. And show the world.